know what? Like Linda laughs at me, Patty, because see, when I'm off in the summer, I either do daft things like this, or I go and buy a car, or I go and do. Gym. This is this <laughs> yeah. is cheaper than buying a car. <laughs> so yeah, that that will be the general theme of this week's episode. Welcome to this week's episode of Paddy Talks Golf, powered by Four Golf Custom. You know exactly where to go for your tour level custom fitting experience. The link will be in the show notes below. This week's episode is all around your stories and one of mine, maybe two of mine, uh, from visiting the Open yourselves, considering it is the 150th anniversary of the Open. Uh, and I don't really like to do previews and reviews of majors anymore because, look, everybody, there's plenty of other podcasts doing that. Okay, I'm even on one or two myself. Um, shout out to the Seed Podcast, the Four Right Podcast. Um, so, yeah, big thank you to you all for getting involved. On Twitter and Instagram is where I share these kind of Q&As and ask to get involved. So please do keep going. And I'd love for you to get involved and just send in messages on the contact me form on the website at www.pattytalkscop.com. I will make a weekly section of this part of the show. And I'm going to call it the com, as in the executive committee, uh, the com section for all your stories during your weeks of golf, places you visit, buggies you crash, Trolleys have fallen lakes, that sort of thing. Or people who forget stuff. Um, I want to shout a big shout out to Andy Gray, Paul O'Neill and Andy Smith for getting involved and sharing their stories this week. And there is one of mine that has like three sub-stories in it. But I'm very self-indulgent. It's my own podcast, for, for God's sake. But anyway, I hope you enjoy it. Um, get involved, give me your feedback. All right, let's get stuck in. Roll it, there, kill it. I mean, listen, we're talking about practice. Joe Bradley told us the production line was finished in Kerry. Where's Joe Bradley? What did he get at? Donald Donovan is the last quarterback. He hits it. He hits it. It's over the bar. Oh, holy Moses. It's all on this. Round and over. Oh, what a finish. Well, here it comes. Oh, wow. In your life, have you seen anything like that? Paul O'Neill, are you ready to tee it up? I absolutely am. The week of the Open, it's like Christmas week. <laughs> There's Christmas week comes to my house five or six times. <laughs> Majors weeks and uh, TPCs and Irish Opens and and then Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> so, Kamitri, thanks for joining. Um, this is our this week's podcast is all around your Open story, and you were at Birkdale for your fiftieth, and I let yeah, you take it from 50th. there. Yeah, for my 50th, my, my younger brother, Tony, who'd be the golfer in the family, touched base with me around St. Patrick's Day. He said, what are we doing for your 50th? And it was his suggestion. So it was um, it was Birkdale. We have family in Liverpool. So it was the whole family went. My um, my older brother, who's a non-golfer, my sister, who's an absolute non-golfer, my mother and my younger brother. So we went over, stayed with family in Liverpool and um, the kids went to went to Birkdale. Now, I was actually over there for the whole week. And uh, just to get a sense of it, and uh, and the family arrived on the Saturday. Yeah, so absolutely a dream come true, and slightly regretted that it took me to be fifty to go. But it really, I, I would, I couldn't recommend it highly enough for people to to make the trip. So Birkdale was two thousand and seventeen, um, and yeah. so half of your group was golfers. We would say, and half of them were non-golfers. So were non-golfers, yeah. So how, how did you set the expectation for, for the non-golfers in terms of what to expect? Or did you know so, yourself if it was your I, first open? I didn't really. I think it was just a case of the family probably thought, well, look, it's a, a great chance to get away all 
had an unusual, for obviously for a special event, one of the siblings turning 50. And, uh, and yeah, we're, we're a sporting family. So that side of it, that was really everything that needed to be decided. We were going to a sporting event. We, as I say, we come from a sporting family. So yeah, all in and hopefully the weather stays fine. Can you describe the logistics of, so, of moving family over for a week and getting to and from the tournament? Jordan Speed won that year as well, so it was a bit manic indeed, on, the, yeah. on the last day. Yeah. But um, I, um, I enjoyed driving in the UK, so I went over, rented a car, obviously a fairly big car, and I just I, I sized the whole, whole place up. I went on the Tuesday, nobody there, Wednesday for the practice day, and I just really got a sense of it. So by the time the family arrived on the Saturday, I was almost golfed out, which suited because I wanted my younger brother to have whatever his experience he wanted. If he was saying, well, where's this and where's that? I wanted him to have a great Saturday and Sunday. And I was just going to be tour, tour leader as such. I suppose, is the younger brother the, the non-golfer, is it? No, no, the younger brother is the golfer. He's the junior cup gotcha. guy. And the gotcha. older fellow then, he was just tagging along. No, very good. Have you... Is there a, a prevailing memory from the week then for you, either with, with or without the, the wider family in attendance at Brockdale? Well, well there was. I, I suppose I was on a man in a mission. In a previous life, I was manager of Westport Golf Club. And in an eight-year term there, I was very lucky. McGinley won the PGA Championship in 2002. Rory won the close in all five. And that was the connection. I always wanted to touch base not, not especially with Rory, but I would have got to know Rory's father back in Westport. And I just thought, could I just tap him on the shoulder, Rory Paul O'Neill from Westport. And the opportunity presented itself on the Thursday, on the 16th. And obviously Rory's dad wouldn't have been, probably wouldn't have been recognisable to all golf fans, but certainly to Irish fans, we all know Jerry from watching him carrying the bag over the years. So I thought, right, I had one trick card up my sleeve. I knew where they stayed back in 05. So I kind of thought, well, Jerry, if I can get that into the conversation straight away, he won't think I'm a stalker. So tapped him on the shoulder, Jerry, Paul O'Neill, Westport Golf Club. Rory won the close back in 05. Just wanted to say hello. He said hello back, and then I went all in. I said, I, believe, I, said, I remember you stayed in Barry Dobbin's house. And you could just sense the relief oozing through his body, thinking, right, this guy isn't a stalker. He's genuine. So I spoke with him for a few minutes. He introduced me to Michael Bannon, whom I had spoken to over the few days that Rory won the close. And that was it. It was just 90 seconds. But as I was leaving, Jerry grabbed me by the hand. He said, Paul, thanks for introducing yourself. And I thought, of all the phrases I wanted Rory's father to say, that was it. That's all. And I could have left there and then. So an absolute highlight on the first day of, uh, of Birkdale. But um, great memory. No, no, that's a nice memory to have, especially uh, when celebrating um, a good number of, of years put past you as well. Absolutely. Come here to me. Would you be able to share for the non-golfers in your party that was at Royal Birkdale in seventeen? Did they share any, you know, uh, revelations of a golf event and of the Open with you on the way home, maybe? Not so much on the way home. There was two, obviously. I, my younger brother was there, obviously, for the golf. So my sister, 
who had no interest in golf at all, but obviously had comfortable shoes on the Sunday. So we were following, I, 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 before we were um, just thinking about stories before we had the chat, we got to the seventh. And of course, it was Spieth and, um, and Kucha. And I turned to my sister and I said, this is the guy who's going to win it, pointing out speed. I just kind of fancy. And as he's walking off the green, he, you can literally eyeball it. And I could just sense my sister thinking, oh, my God, I'm this close to a guy who's just going to win a major. And she mentioned it going back in the car. But then the other extreme, my older brother, who obviously still thinks he's the head of the family, as we're leaving Birkdale, and hopefully this podcast doesn't 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 have too many listeners in, in the Liverpool metropolitan area. He well, that's starts, the biggest listenership we have, Paul. <laughs> he starts he starts rolling up some of the crowd uh, twine, and he said, "Wouldn't this be great to have some of the official twine from the Open Championship?" And I thought, "Oh my God, we're going to be arrested!" And he just rolled it up, slipped it under his jacket. And it now keeps a rose bush in his garden up against a perimeter wall. So, but it is, I just think it's, even the non-golfers, we've seen it on television. And that was another thing. When you arrive on the first day, especially on the Thursday, when you get off that bus from the park and ride, it's the noise. And that's the noise you've always heard on the BBC. And now all of a sudden, you're hearing it live. And you're walking down, you're walking through a housing estate. In Birkdale, that's where the park and ride is. You walk through a housing estate, over the road, and you're at Birkdale. But I literally, hair is standing on the back of my head telling you that. But, uh, but great, great experiences. No, it's fantastic. And I would have relayed my story of, of Hoylake in 14 years before or after this little chat on today's episode. And that's one takeaway I had was... The length that the course is in the town, uh, it's one big festival atmosphere and it's just the noise, you know. Uh, everyone can hear everything from all around the course. But I think it's gas that there's a bit of open, champ they're open championship roses so in, in your brother's house. It's fantastic. Absolutely, yeah. So mum's the word. Mum's the word. Uh, hi, uh, Porig here. Uh, I'm a big fan of Sanctuary Synthetics, had it installed in my back garden. It's 11.1579684259.3 on the stimp meter, which allow you to gauge the speed, slope, sound and smell of every putt. Uh... Well, there you have it, straight from the horse's mouth. For your home putting green, contact Keith in Sanctuary Synthetics on 045-901-970 or visit SanctuarySynthetics.ie Andy Smith, are you ready to tee it up? Yeah, surely, yeah. Let's not tell my story. Absolutely no problem at all. Paddy, go ahead. Work away. Primary headmaster, a, fa a family full of golfers, golf and madhouse. What open did you go to, Andy? Uh, Paddy, we were at the 1987 open. Uh, well, I've been to quite a few, but the story... The, the, the best story I have is from the 1987 Open at Muirfield. And I'd quick Google that. <laughs> Not joking. Yeah, because yeah, you were that only was, born. Was, you were only born. I was. 
I was, I was uh, just doing the math here. I was four yeah. months old. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I know that. Yeah. So we'll not, we'll not put an age on your end, Andy. No, but, no, um, no, no. Well, no, I can tell you because it's part of the story, Paddy. It's part of the story. So, Daddy, well, Faldo won his first of three Open Championships. So tell us about your story. What went on that week? Yeah, so, so basically what happened, Paddy, was we were away. I was 13, so I don't mind telling you my age. I, I, I was 13. My brother was 11. My sister was two, and I was with mum and dad. Uh, we were, we well, at start, we were in a caravan holiday in Scotland, right? So this is where the story starts. When I ran past uh, the story with mum yesterday, she was up at a barbecue at our house yesterday, and mum's very common, Patty, and this sort of sets the context for the whole story. She said, yeah, yeah, we were in a lovely caravan site just outside of Edinburgh. It was lovely. It was right beside the crematorium. Right, so you're sort of like, okay, this is the standard of the of, of of the actual holiday. So we were in a caravan. The best way I can paint the picture, I suppose, is if you look at the uh, the Father Ted episode of the caravan with Graham Norton. There was five of us in a caravan, and I think on the Wednesday, Dad had had enough and just said, "Right, that's it. We're going to we're going to go and do something." And he took us to the practice day. So it was the practice day at Muirfield. It could have been a Tuesday, could have been a Wednesday, Paddy. I, I honestly don't remember. But up we went to Muirfield, not that far away, I think, for 20, 30 minutes from the caravan site. And we arrived at Muirfield. Now, the first red flag should have been the fact that he brought mum and my sister with him. My sister was in a buggy. Why she wanted to be anywhere near a golf tournament. My mum, and this the, the story really revolves around her, and, and I checked with her yesterday because... Uh, my dad coached international sport. I played international sport. My brother played international hockey as well. And mum used to go to every tournament and sit and read a novel at the side of the pitch. And then at the end of it, go, well, did you win? And then she used to say things like, sure, it's only chasing a wee white ball around the pitch. So mum had no concept of any sporting notion at all. But she used to go everywhere with us. And off we headed to Muirfield. And we got inside. And back in the day, Paddy, it wouldn't happen now. But back in the day, dad basically said, right away, you go away. You go and enjoy yourselves. <laughs> Sent me and my brother off to with our wee autograph books and we had to run around and see what we could get and so on and so on. And I suppose the whole point of the whole thing was it turned into a bit, a bit of a disaster for us because we ran around looking for autographs. This was pre-social media. So we were trying to find out who Ronan Rafferty was. We were trying to find out who Ian Wisdom was. But, but you can't see these guys. You know, you don't know who they are. So you're running around trying to find it. We got an, an autograph from a guy called, I mean, you'll need to Google this as well, so the, a guy called Ian Young, who we thought was Scottish. He, well, he is Scottish, but we thought it was Sandy Lyle because he had a Scottish accent. He was running around, and we thought to ourselves, all oh, right, well, this must be me, Sandy Lyle. We had no idea who we were going to and what we were going to. We then stumbled across... Jack Nicholas, who, again, Dad, we were debating this at great length yesterday. We He had a hole-in-one on the practice day. We witnessed the hole-in-one. It could have been at the 16th. I, I'm not sure. That's what we thought it was. But again, two boys stand there, 13-11. And apologies to Mr. Nicholas, but he drove past. He wouldn't give the ball to anybody. He actively refused to give the ball to any of the kids. So the day was sort of just getting to be one of those days where we weren't really getting anywhere. We weren't really doing anything. And we sort of headed off. Great day. We headed off and we're about to go home. And Dad said, look, let's go to the toilet. Let's get sorted out, the boys and so on and so on. So off we tootled to the toilet. Came back about 15 minutes later and we're just walking out. And Mum said, 
She said, Doctor, I, I really enjoyed that. She said, you know, you guys with the toilet and this lovely big fella, he was standing there and beautiful big fella, Ronnie, lovely big young fellow talking away to me. And I said to him, I said, so are you here? And he says, yes, I'm here for the week. And he said he was talking to your sister and all in the buggy. And we were all right, OK. We weren't really listening to her. And he said, yeah. And mom said to him, and I said, that's an awful long time to be here for the week. And we have a lovely caravan down, <laughs> down in the beside a crematorium in Edinburgh. And she chatted away to him and she said, you know, people are coming from all over. And anyway, we get into the car, but I thought nothing of it. We thought mum was just away we were. So Sunday night came and we're all huddled around the, the TV uh, at the in the caravan, the wee TV at the, at the caravan site. And uh, as you've already alluded to, Faldo then decided to win the Open, to which mum looked up from her book and went, oh, there's that big fella there that I was talking to outside the toilets. And uh, which the three of us looked at each other after spending all day running around trying to get autographs and going, my mum has just spent 15 minutes standing talking to Nick Faldo, who then went on to win the Open. But better than that, then, then in the next breath, mum just turned around and she said, oh, she said, it's not lovely for him. Imagine him coming the whole way up for a week to do something and him winning that tournament. So, Paddy, when you said about stories for the Open, it, 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 it's a great family story that we still laugh about. It's one of those ones where we're a, a, a sporting mad family with the exception of one person, and that one person seems to always manage to get the talk to the people who actually counted it. So when you asked me, to, you know, when you put it on Twitter, I just thought, like, it was a good one just to share with you from our experience when we were younger and we were kids running around a golf course. No, it's smashing. Thanks a million. That is gas. <laughs> so I've done well. I've waited until now on uh, <laughs> story three to self-indulge in, my, self-indulge in my own story, which is from the Open at Hoylake, Royal Liverpool, in 2006, the year Tiger won. Uh, back-to-back, he'd won the 2005 Masters, beating Trist Marco. And he put Chris DeMarco to the sword again in 2006 at Hoylake. He was leading from Friday morning. He held a second shot at the 14th for Eagle. Sergio Garcia dressed up like a banana, if anybody remembers that. With a white belt as well, shocking. But uh, he capitulated over the front nine, was three or four over. And Ernie Els, they were all one adrift Els, DeMarco and Garcia, uh, on the Saturday night, which this story is all about the Saturday night and, and the Sunday morning. Um, but yeah, Els, you know, the putting, the putting didn't really, that's when the putting issues and woes began, I think, for Ernie. But yeah, closing 67 gave Tiger a two-stroke victory. First champion to defend successfully since Tom Watson in 1983. And I suppose he'd only played twice competitively that year in 2006, since April, since the Masters. Um, because his father, Earl, had died uh, two months prior to the Open, just after the Masters. And Tiger closed out with saying, I wish he could have seen this woman last time. And that kind of rings true as we watched Tiger walk off the 18th last night, hoping that we see him in St. Andrews one more time. Um, did you like that segue? I just thought of it there. Now I'm watching the highlights. They're on mute from yesterday's play. This has been recorded, my story, last night, Friday, the 15th of July, as, as uh, the Open has finished up for for the week, or for the week, uh, for the weekend. Shane has just made the cut. Mr. Power just missed, as did, as did Party Harrington. But it's not about this year's Open. 
this week's is all around our stories from past open. So I hope you've enjoyed the, the couple of stories thus far. And let's get stuck into my trip to Royal Liverpool. It was in 06, and in 06 that summer, I was 19 years of age, fresh-faced, and wearing green jumpers all around Essex because I was staying with a family friend working there for the summer in an engineering company. And I was being paid at the end of the summer. But I asked politely in the middle of the summer, look, the Open is on next week. There's tickets available. Because back then, they were. You've, it's all by raffle these days. Or by ballot. But they were available. I said, look, can we throw us a couple of weeks' wages there early? Then agreed. And uh, I'll buy tickets and train and, and see can I start uh, accommodation. So no problem at all. Sure, I was self-sufficient enough. I wasn't much bothered to them. Um, believe it or not. But uh, they're great family friends. They knew me since I was eight, nine, ten years of age. So I knew I could be trusted to travel. I was well travelled at that stage. I travelled most of Europe uh, on family holidays. So no fear of me. Uh, independent enough. So I got my tickets. I got my train. And I don't remember how I ended up with the accommodation because it was a pretty blurry couple of days. Um, but I do remember it was via the club. I think I emailed Hoylake. I was like, look, I'm coming up. With, I think I might have dropped the Lahinch line. It's like I'm coming up uh, from, I'm down in, I didn't say Essex. I said, uh, I did say I was in Cambridge for the summer, <laughs> trying to land with a bit of, uh, as drop as many names as possible. I'm coming up for the Open. I've no to stay. Can you help? And the email, I can say, yeah, there's a senior member and he's letting out his spare rooms. He might be sharing with somebody else, I believe. But it was sorted anyway. I was staying with a fellow from Australia. He was in like his 50s. There was a guy in his late 20s upstairs. And the old timer was like early 70s. And he reminded my granddad. So I felt immediately comfortable. I was 19. I was allowed to take care of myself. Um, there was no dodgy dealing. So comfortable enough going up and Went up on the train, discovered then <laughs> in Liverpool station that Royal Liverpool is nowhere near fucking Liverpool. So I think it was another hour in the train to get to Hoylake, which is on the Whirl. So it's like the post Liverpool basically I figured out. And I was there on the Friday evening. And we had a tame Friday evening compared to the Saturday night. We went out for a couple of drinks. Um, got to know everyone where they were from. I forget names. I'm terrible with names, but I'm sure if I passed them on the street, I'd recognise them. That's just the way I, I work, I'm afraid. So if I ever meet you, please don't be offended if I don't remember your name. Just say, hey, I'm, you know, I'm Paddy from the podcast, or I'm I'm John from Lynch or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, that 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 will help me place it. But anyway, so landed up. Friday was tame enough. I don't think uh, there was much going on. Uh, in, in my head to get done like it wasn't a party I wanted to go up and see the golf and I was all excited it was 6am alarm clock and the guy's house was literally like 100 yards from the entrance to Royal Liverpool so no problem up in the morning 6am had my tickets and um, he actually gave me his Thursday and Friday tickets uh, so I'd have Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday to keep uh, which was nice I still have them up in my all room in the hinge. I might bring them out this weekend and throw up on social media to show people. But uh, 6 a.m. landing, got me ticket. And I can't remember if we bought it or if they were issued out, but you got like an RNA radio. Um, a little radio ring on with you. And I remember I was smoking at the time. Don't tell mom. Um, but uh, Royal Highlake was burnt. Like we're all looking at St. Andrew's Island, it's brown. 
and there's some bits of green there but high like that here was burnt to a crisp an absolute crisp to, to such an extent that there was people going around the golf course stewards all had them there was available to pick up little boxes were like carry around ashtrays for anyone that smoked now i just didn't do you know what I mean? I was there to play golf and I didn't want to be that person to set the whole place on fire. So I didn't and I went around to watch the golf and I remember hanging out on the the grandstand on the 14th and I was there for two or three hours and it was great crack up the top of the grandstand because I think you could look over the back of it and see another couple of holes play if I remember rightly. I could be wrong but that's what I'm pretty sure I could see plenty of play from there. And uh, I remember Tiger coming through and the roar was phenomenal. He was, he'd eagled it the day before, and the roar was phenomenal, and uh, he was cruising around. He only hit driver once on the Thursday, and then he didn't hit driver anymore for the weekend. It was real playing chess stuff. At his ease. Zero motion is he's become accom accustomed now, but all he did was cloak twirl his way around Royal, uh, Royal Liverpool, and. Um, so I got to see the play, and I went into the merch tent. I didn't buy anything, but I spotted there was a raffler in, like a sleeveless, uh, waterproof jacket. They were all the rage them days. Like a, you throw it over, and they were all, they were like oversized. Might be in style again. Everything oversized in style again. But um, I had my eye on that from the Saturday morning. I think I went into the merch tent three or four times that day. Um, but it was like 160 pounds, right? I was like, no way, can't, can't be doing that. So yeah, that was grand, and I was on site from 6 a.m. until maybe 6, 7 p.m., literally, hung out at the range a lot of the time as well, and that's why I advise anybody going to see golf tournaments, hang out at the range. Uh, early in the play, like from 7 a.m. to 10 a.m., then go see some golf, and then come back to it at 4 p.m. to maybe 6 p.m., because all the pros are back there again, um, hitting shots and practicing, and that's where you see the most golf, golf shots and flights, and you can see what they're working on. And I remember I stood on that range, on, and I just remember this now actually, on the Saturday evening watching Porter Carrington hit balls for about an hour and a half after the round, and doing all the different drills, and head covers under one arm, and head covers under the other arm, and then a towel, and then Rona was giving him um, alignment advice, or maybe he was being asked to uh, check for him, and I remember not wanting to disrupt Padre from his um, from his work essentially and I suppose that's the way I still uh, still treat and respect uh, golfers when on the course or at tournaments they have enough of people dragging out of them I alluded to it in, in the JP episode last week but um, I'm just happy to be, be within their vicinity in the same region and, and I see Padre go through his routine after Possibly doing that, definitely doing that that morning and playing around the golf and seeing the ethic, the work ethic that evening as well uh, was phenomenal. And I suppose that's why I love practice because I, I, I've i seen enough tournaments now that to see that the, the results are, are gotten from those who grind. But anyway, back to the story. So finished up watching Paddy on the range, got back to the old timers gaff and uh, I don't even think I had dinner. Uh, I would have had food and burgers here and there, bags of chips on the course and got back, showered and there was out, going, we're going down the, the village of High Lake and we're going for pints and I said, no problem, I'm, I'm in, let's go and um, that was the night I learned never try and keep up with a 70 year old drinking pints of stout um, and 
as a 19 year old I thought I was well able well capable of myself but I was taught a lesson trying to keep up with the fella just supping away on, on pints of Guinness and uh, we were just in a dark corner of a pub beside a fireplace and chatting away about golf and who we were following that day and what we did and it was a great time but uh, I was wrecked of course and borderline sunstroke as well I'd imagine and uh, got back to the house and I'd had a couple of cigarettes or whatever uh, while out, so they knew I was obviously having a couple after a drink or whatever, but I'd none left, right? Because um, back then I didn't, I bought them and uh, I might smoke up a day and uh, I'd generally save them when I was having a couple of drinks, so I never had like a fresh pack, do you know what I mean? So I was probably had, like seven or eight left in the pack before I bought a new one. I didn't go to the open prepared to smoke my brains off, basically, is what I'm trying to say. But um, the funny bit of the story is, uh, and a bit, um, Reminding me a lot of memories of my granddad as well was we were sitting around the table and I was like floating around the, the chair a little bit. You know, I should have been in bed for about half an hour. And the old term goes, Do you want one of those? And they were um they were majors. Or no, they were gold flakes. So if anyone remembers gold flakes, um, more power to you. But my granddad smoked two packs of gold flakes every day. And uh I used to go up and play with them. With the boxes, not the cigarettes, with the boxes I make. I used to deliver his dinner most days. He was going to live down the road from our house. And uh, so I used to go up and have to give him his dinner. And um, I'd make houses out of the gold flake boxes. Or I'd use them as dominoes or whatever. Um, and knock them all down, line them up and knock them down. That's how many there were after about a week. But uh, the gold flakes finally says, actually, yeah, no problem. Sure, my grandfather smoked them, not even knowing that what was about to happen. Because I was smoking, I don't know, like still called purples or something, like basically smoking filters. Um, but uh, he gave me a, a gold flake anyway, and whatever lit it up. And after two puffs, oh my god, like the whole world was spinning, spinning around me heads between the drink. But this cigarette, this gold flake, definitely set all the emotions off and set the physicalities of a few hours drinking on a on an empty stomach off. And I spent the next 20 minutes with my head in, in the toilet bowl. Um, and then I went to bed. But, uh, yeah, that's the gold flakes in, in Royal High Lake, or Royal Liverpool. Stay away from them. Stay away from them. But the Sunday morning, up and fresh, 7 a.m. again, I was on, on course. When you're 19 and fresh-faced and independent, you don't get hangover. So I was on course again, 7 a.m., a bit worse for wear. So instead of going... I was watching the pennies because I still had my eye on that Raffler N um, short sleeve waterproof, like showerproof jacket. It was like like fire red. Do you know what I mean? Like Tigerwood Sunday red. And I had the open high leg on it and, uh, over the, the chest pocket. It was class, absolutely class because I liked Tom Watson at the time. He wore uh, RLX and yeah, there was a couple of reasons. But anyway, I was looking around for a cheap breakfast in the town and Everywhere was golf, and I remember um, there was a magazine at the time, Golf Punk. They were they didn't have a stall; they weren't in the tent village, but they'd set up on the on the footpath on the way. So I was chatting to them for a while about Lindeberg, this and the white pants there, and um, tartans, all this kind of crack. And did they have a job? Because <laughs> I loved golf and I wanted a job. But I came across this sign, and it was breakfast and golf market in here. And it was like this big uh, ironclad gate with bushes on it. I said, what's in here? And I it was open. I walked in. And it was a courtyard. And it was this old church. 
It was empty, like the, there was no pews or anything inside. It was empty, so I don't know if they were they taken out for the weekend in question, or it was just like an old church like you see these days that are now like community halls. But anyway, I went in, and there was a certain character I'd, I'd been following around the course on the Saturday, a small Argentinian golfer who was in the top ten, I believe, or close to, absolute baller. Couldn't get over the ball flights and the fizz of this guy that no one had heard about. And he was in the corner, and this was like a farmer's market of golf stuff, like old antique golf clubs and um, Argyle sweaters and bucket hats. And back in 06, bucket hats weren't a vibe like they are now. Um, so really, like, you know, all the granddads had, had rocked up and, and thrown their golf stuff from the sheds on the tables and old golf magazines and stuff. But I got me sausage and breakfast butty and cup of coffee and paid me five pound and it was grand. And who do I see in the corner but my guy? My Argentinian friend, Andres Romero, around this poxy granddad farmer's market, eating a fucking breakfast roll like me. But, um, and top ten in the open, teeing off at like 2 p.m. that day. So that's another memory. But uh, to finish the story off, uh, and finished up the day in the grandstand on 18, the last two or three hours. And, of course, watch Tiger come through, watch the purple flower bombs hit the greens. If you remember those, just Google that. I never clue what was going on at the time, but I do now. A uh, little, little politics thing. But nothing to do with Tiger. Just looking for a bit of notice. But uh, Tiger was walking down with the banana, or uh, Sergio. And, uh, yeah, finished out in big embrace with, with uh, Stevie, his caddy at the time. And uh, speech, split for the speech afterwards. And then, before he finished his speech... I was like, I'll go to the merch tent. They might do, they might have deals before the whole thing closes down. So I fizzed down, I was at the back of the grandstand as usual, fizzed down, out, rushed down, merch tent, and sure to be sure, 50% sale on all, on everything. So I nailed my RLX, Ralph Lauren, Fiery Red, The Open at Royal Hoy Lake, 2006, short sleeve, showerproof, rainproof jacket, I think it was £65. And I wore that for the next 10 years. <laughs> and there are my couple of memories from, from the Open. Andy Gray, are you ready to tee it up? <laughs> sure. It's great to see you, buddy. Uh, you too, buddy. Last time we saw it was the JP, and before that, it was on a soccer field in Cork IT. Yeah, yeah, I'm quite sure uh, none of us were were the good for wear after before or after that game. <laughs> Come here to me. Uh, your experience of the Open, when and where was it? Um, well, I've been lucky enough to go to two Opens. I went to Hoy uh, Liverpool to Hoy Lake in 2014 when Rory won, and Royal Port Rush in 2019 when Shane won. So we're kind of at a a good luck with the Irish, as it was. So, uh, um, so get over to St Andrews this week, and another Irish person will win. Is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah. Well, we we put our put our names down the lottery, and yeah, nothing came out of it, unfortunately. And wasn't going to take the gamble of going over, but yeah, this is the way it is. So we don't have a story of Port Rush yet. So Andy Gray, did you come from Cork or? How did Port Rush come about? Who did you go with? Um, well, I'm part of a kind of a, a little golf society called RTV, uh, named a couple of years ago um, after the race to Dubai, but we changed the, the final letter of that into whatever you want to use your imagination for. 
Uh, anyway, we normally go on a golf trip every year. It's been the Irish Open um, or the Open itself. This year was Port Rush. So, um, yeah, we went up, we played um, County Loud on the f- Friday morning in the lashing rain and then got in the car, drove up to Port Rush as the sun came out and yeah, proceeded to try and find a camping spot somewhere near Port Rush uh, and continued on to Port Salon. Or not Port, uh, uh, Port, was it just around the corner? Port Stewart. Port Stewart, that's the one. And um, yeah, we couldn't find anywhere, so we just went into the pub and stayed in the pub and watched Rory try to make the cut, which was a great atmosphere inside the pub. Um, the amateur, James Sergu, was, he was next to us then with his group of Alicadoos having uh, quite a few Guinness, same as ourselves. Um, then we went out to our cars, which were parked about 200 metres down the road in the pissing rain and camped in the cars for the night. <laughs> Got up at six, uh, sun was out, went straight to went straight to Port Rush. Beautiful day, slept on the fair, outside the fairways. I think I found a green up the very back and with my brother and we kind of just watched everybody come through and yeah, had a bit of a nap there. I think the lads, the lads decided they weren't going to get up and go into. So there was four of us, myself, my brother and two of the other guys, and they decided they wanted to go for a swim beforehand. So they drove the other direction for about 20 minutes to find a beach, found a beach, got in, froze, got out, went for breakfast. Uh, I think they arrived up maybe about lunchtime into into the open, and yeah, they were they wanted to be those guys that were seen. So they wore two Kerry jerseys. One guy is from Wexford, and one guy is from Cork. They wore two Kerry jerseys to be the guys to be seen. Anyway, there was a with the week that was in it, there was a few fellas I think had been after a few beers who weren't best pleased at seeing two lads wearing Kerry jerseys walking around. So um, quickly, I think they turned, changed direction. And next thing we heard, they were on their way over to Letterkenny because our next stop was uh, Ballyliffin the next day. So they were staying around kind of that area. Um, but yeah, that was that was that was our our story from Port Rush. It was a, a great old day. And we we did play the next day in Ballyliffin. We got nine holes in before that weather hit. And by God, was that something else to try and play into? Yeah. Now, deadly story. Uh, it's bad enough Kerry men wearing jerseys at, in Augusta National, let alone a Wexford lad. And where's the other A Wexford lad and a Cork lad, yeah. And a Cork um, lad wearing a Kerry jersey. Yeah, so no, they, just, they wanted to be that guy standing behind the tee shot. And yeah, they weren't. <laughs> they didn't pull it off. <laughs> No fear. That's a good one. That's a, that's a story from the opening 19. Not a lot of people would know about anyway, that's for sure. Yeah, true, true that. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode of Stories from the Open. And I just want to say Andy Gray, I got to know Andy in college and I met him last week at the JP McManus. And there's people like him that I, that I love meeting through, through this. People that we mightn't have ever seen each other again, but... We met each other at the JP and had a great chat and then I put him on this episode and he got in touch. He actually bought one of the calendars as well. So I want to thank Andy for all his support and all the people from college and the people who continue to keep in touch with me because I'm so shit at keeping in touch with people. 
keep saying it's gets like an annual resolution to do better at reaching out with all the friends from, you know close friends I would have had throughout my life so keep me accountable folks but um andy had a second story um that i should have kept playing rec- like i should have kept the recording on for but so anal about uh, locking in and recording for, for the show but we he he reminisced about uh the the open port rush when lowry won and uh Shocking that no one could come on until it's a sort of important rush, but uh, <laughs> we have one anyway. And uh, anyone down here, there's a group of lads. There was a recurring team of Andy's trips to the Opens that they landed up on the Friday and straight to the pub. But anyway, uh, straight to the pub in Port Rush on the Friday, and uh, we're in the we're we're looking to camp. Couldn't find a campsite. Uh, went down to Port Stewart, which is like ten minutes away from Port Rush. Couldn't find a campsite, so it's great. We got to the pub. So we're into the pub in the afternoon, or maybe late afternoon on the Friday, and they were, he couldn't, I can't remember the name of the pub he said, but he was inside there with James Sugru, uh, who had won the amateur from Mallow that year, and all James' friends who were on it, like the car bonnet, uh, they all had a whale of a time in the pub, right? And they uh, rolled out of the pub at maybe 1am or 2am, and he was saying, and they slept in the cars, they camped in the cars, right? Uh, how Irish is that? But uh, they rocked up to the course anyway on the Saturday morning. Bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, as you can imagine. So that was his little story from, from Port Rush about drinking with James Sugru. And then moving swiftly backwards in time at High Lake in 2014 when Rory won is the better story. Him, the same bunch of friends, I think it was. Maybe different different WhatsApp group. But um, again, High Lake, out to the world, which, as from my story, is a good hour away. And um, they landed in the Friday into Liverpool at a great... Straight to the pub. Um, I must hang out with Andy Gray and his friends more. They sound like a great bunch of lads. Um, telling all the wives are going golfing. It's actually a drinking trip with some golfing involved. And no better way to spend the time sometimes, especially going to a tournament. Um, but anyway, High Lake and out to the, the pub in Liverpool City they were in the Friday night. And then out to the world an hour. Uh, rocking up in the morning. Bleary-eyed. Not so bushy-tailed. And uh, got your tickets, grand, grand, grand. And one of his mates had the Sunday ticket. No Saturday ticket with him on the Saturday morning. He goes, oh, come here, I couldn't just swap it, could I? The Saturday when he's back in the hotel, 45 an hour, an, an hour away. He goes, your man goes, no, 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 no. You have to go get that. So Andy's mate, uh, back into Liverpool, 45 minutes, an hour on the train, picks up the ticket, an hour back again. And this is like hungover. Uh, back to the... The, the entrance, the gate, and the, like the opening, you're wrapping up at this stage uh, and gets in uh, with his Saturday ticket. But that's it, that's uh, an extra bonus story there. So thanks, Andy, for, for sharing so much. Should have pressed record, or you told that story way better than I did. But thank you all for pressing play. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of reminiscing about our own open stories as we watch the open weekend. And if it is in the weeks in the future, when you listen to this, I hope these stories have helped you reminisce about maybe some of your open stories. Uh, thank you all for listening. Do me a favour and tell one friend or share the show uh, in your WhatsApp groups or on social medias. And yeah, I'll see you again next week. So until we tee up again soon, I'm Paddy. <laughs>